0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax,
1: investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Hello. 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 This is the Vancouver commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright.
2: And I'm your other host, at least for the time being,
3: Matt Scalina. And I'm I'm just sitting in. I'm Adam Scalina. And I gotta say, before we get to today's episode, top 40 business iTunes. Congratulations, I Corey. think
1: I think we gotta say thank you to everyone for for helping promote the show and get it out there.
3: Yeah. That's and thanks a- for listening, everybody.
2: We've had some actually some I- great feedback already. I was looking in the top 40. Uh, and I believe you're the only regional business podcast out there in the top 40. Top 40 in Canada. Top 40 right. in Canada. And wow. you're regional.
1: Wow. Yeah. wow. You guys called me and told me we were top 40 in Poco.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so wow. congratulations, but, but
1: we should, we should talk about who's on the show this week, Corey. Scott McInnes founder, McInnes Law Group, and we're going to break down how a commercial lease differs, say, from the residential leases out there, and also probably some of the concerns you might have as a landlord, potentially, and how you deal with them.
2: Well, this is this is exciting, and Adam, you weren't here for this conversation. I, I sat in with Corey. The differences between a residential lease and a commercial lease are vast. Very, and, very vast. And uh, commercial leases are, and this is not to scare anyone, quite a bit more complicated. Yeah. So this is a really interesting conversation to talk about risks, the way to approach them, the lack of the Residential Tenancy Act and yeah. what that means. So this is, this was a really
1: interesting conversation. Yeah, and it was really good. And speaking of risks, I was, you know, over the weekend there, I was trying to catch up on my my V reps, uh, my podcast there. And yeah. and I I caught the one just a couple of weeks ago and Adam, explain to me this Freddy Krueger starter pack that was found <laughs> underneath your stairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, exactly. You it might was, have to back uh, up and explain we, what I, the Well, yeah, we talked about it on V-Rep, but the uh we found a bag under my stairs in my back deck that had a rope, uh a uh an axe like a like a not not like a hatchet, I guess they'd call it. Well, a hatchet with uh, red with red, red blood on it, red all over uh, it. <laughs> a set of a set of finger claws. <laughs> they call that. Oh, they call that red blood
1: <laughs> evidence.
3: Yeah. yeah, an old hockey mask. Uh, no, it didn't. It had a balaclava. It did have. It, it had a. It had a. a, billy a back. Essentially, a hatch. A hatchet. A billy bat
1: and a Clava. And that and, was and, enough and, to-
2: And a bag of needles.
1: Oh yeah, and a bag of needles. Well, up into the bag of needles part there, I thought you were just gearing up for your next episode of Yellowstone with that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's the rope.
3: <laughs> that's how I That's how I wrestle the cattle. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's actually, I was thinking about this. I mean, I've been watching so much Yellowstone that the idea, and, and this is no, not a spoiler alert, but- Yellowstone part of it is to be part of the Yellowstone you got to get branded they brand you with a Y and I and I looked for this shirt a flesh colored shirt that's branded
2: <laughs> with the Y you know you're too deep into a show. Yeah. Well, well,
1: well, well, I have an Amazon Prime membership, and if it's available there now, I could probably get it to you by tomorrow. Have you actually watched it since you uh, – I, I watched – I got – I watched about one and a half episodes after your recommendation, and I, I was really thinking I was gearing up for kind of this, you know, this battle about property and, like, you know, the city's coming in. Our developers want the land, and yeah. then – yeah, no, guys, just on horses running around. Like I was waiting for Clint Eastwood to pop out or something like that, and I just, I just haven't got back into there it.
2: There is since. a scene, I think, in early. I'm in, I'm in season two. I'm doing about three, four episodes a night right now. It is, and I was, just, I, I think I called it General Hospital on horses before something yeah. like that. It does get better. I think your dad was right, Corey, when he said that. Yeah, um, my dad, my dad, my it, dad watches it. It does yeah. get better, and in season two, there is a developer who is put on a horse with a noose around his neck. And they slap the horses. Uh, well, they do that behind. in Vancouver all the time, too.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I guess. <laughs> The, the develop, public, the, that de- is.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's called the public hearing. Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. Doesn't the city do that to developers all <laughs> yeah, the time? Yeah, you got to get through
1: four of them now to, <laughs> yeah. to, to get your building going. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and quickly though, Corey, we, on our last episode on, on VREP, we talked about the residential market being kind of spotty right now yeah. and things kind of changing. And I was actually just having a conversation with someone this morning about this idea is as we open up, and a lot of people now have their first dose of the vaccine, Um, a lot of people now are talking about, they're excited. I think there's going to be an announcement like in the first week of June. We're going back. I think we're going back and, and to some extent, some kind of opening, Um, a lot of people are going to now focus on going to restaurants again, um, you know, uh, seeing their friends and family, that sort of thing. Right. Especially if people have the first dose of vaccine and the weather's good. Like today it's, it's Friday, it's beautiful outside. We're all in really good moods. It feels like we're opening. There's optimism out there. There's optimism. Yeah. we're thinking that the market might actually people might take their eye off real estate, residential real estate, for a bit and focus on other things over the summer. It could specifically even, commercial it, real estate. Yeah, <laughs> well, it could actually result in a bit of a breath uh, over the summer, right? And I think we're going to have a busy fall, I would
1: imagine. But how is the commercial real estate market? Remember that horse that had the developer in a noose on, and they kicked the horse, <laughs> and the horse just <laughs> yeah. takes off. Yeah, that's the commercial real estate market right now. Really gone? It's the horse. It's the horse. Okay. It's extremely busy. Lots of optimism out there. Again, lack of inventory still exists in the marketplace right now. And I think one thing we've seen a lot of is, we talked a little bit on a previous episode, but retail side of it. There's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of people that are getting excited, that see the light at the end of the tunnel, that are getting ready to go. That coupled with lack of inventory creates that storm in their market. And we've seen it still pretty consistently. Like there's been ups and downs along the way, but we're really starting to feel that hype come right is, back into is it.
2: Is it busier right now than it was in March? Would you say?
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say that overall. I mean there was, you know, going back into March, April. You I mean we we had a lag there, like a lot of other people did, like ups and downs a little bit. But right now, there's that optimism out there. There's investment money coming back into the marketplace. You I mean cheap cheap money is available to buyers. We had a project over in Victoria, that we put all the retail on sale for our, our friend Byron Chard at Nest there, and we successfully sold 100% of the retail like in the first week. Wow. So, you I mean, the market is, it's moving. That's exceptional. There's exciting out there. Um, you know, I, I think we're going to have a really, really strong end to 2021 as the vaccine rollout continues and people try to get back to like, like what normal is. And I think 2022 and 2023, we've got some really, really good stuff ahead of us. I think a lot of people that thought, A year ago that, you mean, no one's ever going to go back to the office. A lot of people I think are looking forward to getting back to the office now that they're getting vaccinated. So I think as fall comes, I mean, depending on what you read, there's hopeful, maybe we might be seeing concerts or even catch a Canuck game this fall or winter time. Um, There's a lot of excitement, you know, flurrying in the market and the the nice weather always helps. Downtown
3: is going to explode. Yeah. I feel like downtown is going to be so busy this, uh, you know, in the last half of this year, if things really open up, I think, uh, I, I feel like, yeah,
2: if, if people have the opportunity to go back to restaurants and can I am so keen to be in a crowd. Yeah, like, yeah, I would have never thought I'd ever say this two years ago, yeah. but right now, like I'm almost looking at tomorrow thinking, okay, where's the busiest place I can yeah. hang around? Outside? Well, it, it, to be fair, it's been a few weeks since the anti-mask rally. <laughs> 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 Just kidding. <laughs>
3: no, that's not true. Matt's not an anti-masker. <laughs> Um, With pearly whites like that, I yeah, can see why you yeah, wouldn't yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So,
3: so what is the busy? Like we talk a lot about industrial being yeah. always kind of like uh, it's it's like maybe the, the 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 fastest moving horse. Yeah. Uh,
1: what what other markets are busy right now? You know, believe it or not, multifamily has yeah. been has been extremely busy. Again, lack of inventory. Um, we've had some recent buildings, like through the company that we've actually attained multiple offers on them in the multifamily sector, not only in the lower mainland, but Vancouver Island. So we're seeing a lot of uptick in that side of things, but you mean, between that and your industrial are probably your two things that are moving the fastest, obviously offices and retail, there's still that little bit of wait and see, but there hasn't been discounts and there hasn't been, you know, that stuff flood the market. Like I think maybe a year ago, we anticipated. Right. I think as people start coming back to the office, the retailers start getting busier again, the restaurants start opening again. All that's going to go kind of feed in back to what we call our new normal and maybe hopefully in 12 months from now, we all might look back on this and just realize it was sort of a blip in the big screen. Obviously, it was something that was very serious that had to be dealt with. But I think as a, as a country and as a municipalities and all that stuff have come – done a really good job getting us through this. So I think we're, we're almost there that I, I think we have a very, very bright latter part of 2021 and 2022 ahead of us.
3: And are there opportunities right now or is it just too busy?
1: <laughs> uh, I'm I'm slow to answer because I'm trying to think where an opportunity even exists right now. Yeah. Lack of inventory is our biggest problem. So if there is an opportunity, it's it's gone. That's what the sellers.
3: It's the sellers. It's a
1: sellers market overall. I mean, yeah. and again, it, it's it there's pocket markets that maybe aren't as strong. Would you would you
2: sell right now?
1: I, I don't like selling anything ever. I, I try to. Right. I mean, I, I got kids that, I mean, that gotta survive twenty years down the road, and with the cost of inflation, if I don't be able to pass something on, they might <laughs> they might not make <laughs> it. So you I mean I think right now, you know, unless you had to sell, unless you were in a position you had to sell, I wouldn't be a seller. But in saying that, if there was an opportunity where I felt like my, my asset was peaking in value right. and I could move that money into something where I was getting in maybe more towards the starting point of maybe a ten year trajectory, I would I would probably look at that. Right.
2: And the reason I, I ask would you sell right now, I guess is I'm trying to get a sense because if you look at single family in January and yeah. February in hindsight, you know there was so little inventory. You know, you saw some prices that you can't replicate those now. Astronomical prices. You couldn't, you prices, couldn't replicate yeah. it in, in yeah. even March, April, right? Um, so, so yeah, I'm thinking of it in that way. I, I think we're all kind of long-term hold guys, real estate wise, though.
1: Yeah, and and in commercial too. You mean the, the, we suffer from a lack of inventory quite consistently, and especially in a city like like Vancouver, where you are landlocked. Victoria's got water challenges right along with Kelowna and all the markets that you kind of want to buy in, there's just not really a lot of stock. And now when you have, you know, federal, you mean, sorry, national attention on it, you've got local attention, you've got international attention on it. It just makes that, that, that buyers pool that much bigger and the inventory just looks that much smaller. So... I mean, we've, mm-hmm. we've, now we now they have cheap money in the marketplace that that things tend to move quite quickly.
3: How many international buyers are coming? In? Does it does it seem like that's a active segment for in the commercial market right now?
1: Um, to be honest with you, probably not. And when I think if there is anything, you mean over the past year, we've probably seen more interest from companies like say in Seattle or California, where they're looking at the challenges down there they've had, and they've looked to probably reposition some of their portfolios maybe into BC because BC's done a really good job weathering the COVID crisis and stuff like that. So I think people are, are re-looking at, so when we say international buyers, they're not kind of the the people you might think that were causing problems maybe a couple of years ago, the province assumed, which we found out was never really the case. It's more people from like Americans looking to reposition some of their portfolios up here because we have so much demand for the product and things seem to consistently, you know, year after year, keep going in the right direction.
3: Fantastic. Well, without further ado, why don't we cut to our interview with Scott McInnes. Enjoy, guys.
2: Okay, so we're here with Scott McKinnis, founder of McKinnis Law Group. How you doing, Scott? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Can we start maybe by you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, sure. So I'm a lawyer. I was called in 2019. My articled at a downtown law firm. There's about 85 lawyers there, and then I switched out and I started practicing in a small two lawyer. Law firm in North Burnaby, and I just opened my own practice in the beginning of this year.
2: Wow, and you've, you and, and you're good friends with Corey Wright. That's a good that's a good connection.
0: Uh, yeah, he's uh, he played a bit of a role in helping me decide to make the jump, and yeah, I'm I'm grateful I did.
1: Well, that's probably one of the only guys that said I've probably provided good <laughs> advice to them in the business world lately. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today. One question we get quite consistently from a, from an investor standpoint is, what is a commercial lease? Because sometimes, you know, from a tenant standpoint or even maybe an investor who's buying a space, they're given this 20 or 30, 60-page document and they, they look at it kind of dumbfounded, not knowing what it is, or maybe they're used to Residential Tenancy Act leases that are just a couple pages. Can you maybe sort of unpack a little bit what a commercial lease is and sort of why it's in place and go from there?
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, a lease of any kind over land grants the right to the tenant of the exclusive use and enjoyment of the property. And so that's really what a lease is, whether it's residential or commercial. What makes it different in the commercial context is that um, commercial leases are not constrained heavily uh, by statute. So in the residential context, we have the VC Residential Tenancy Act, and it is very strict in terms of the relationship between landlord and tenant. Um, It prescribes very detailed rules on how that relationship works. And so, in the commercial context, there is not such a constraint. There are some statutes that provide for different rules and regulations, but not the same as the residential context. And, and part of the reason for that is that I think the law makes a distinction in that a residential lease for, for you know, a renter is, is a home. It's, it's, you know, where a family lives. And so, They recognize the power kind of imbalance between landlord and tenant often. If they got given a big 60-page lease, many of them would not have the money to go have it reviewed by a landlord. So they strictly constrain rules on how you can kick a tenant out, what's the rental increase that you can uh, give a tenant each year, what's the kind of damage deposit they can ask for. Those are all strictly regulated under the Residential Tenancy Act. And the Residential Tenancy Act goes even a bit further and says, um, you know, notwithstanding any other agreement between landlord and tenant, if you guys agree to something that in any way violates the Residential Tenancy Act, it's as if it doesn't exist. So in the commercial context, you know, it's a lot more open-ended. And so to your point, what's a commercial lease? So a commercial lease is just the document that governs the rights between landlord and tenant in the commercial context for a piece of property, whether it's strata or you know, um, non-strata, it doesn't matter. So it will contain all the rights and remedies um, available to either party, um, you know, supplemented by statute to a small degree. But that's going to be basically your Bible for moving forward in your relationship between landlord and tenant.
2: And is there any larger government entity that that's regulating the space or because the lease in this case seems like it's much more Binding than then you know if I have a tenant in the residential context and I, I I draft up you know an assortment of rules that we agree to but don't abide by the residential tenancy reg- regulations do I have that right?
0: No, not really. Yeah. So in the in the residential context, you don't really have the right to force on rules that violate the RTA. But in the commercial context, let's say you know you have a schedule of rules and regulations you know no smoking no pets this kind of thing you can put in your lease what rights and remedies the landlord has when a tenant violates those those um those rules and it's it's much broader the power for a landlord to go in and serve a notice of default basically is up to the party's agreement. Like, you know, you could have a lease that provides on any default uh, of the commercial lease that the landlord um, gets a right to re-entry and they can terminate without any notice. Um, now, oftentimes tenants council, if a tenant get, gets a lease like that, they'll have it reviewed and tenants council will say, Hey, Hey, you know, take that out. We're not getting, you're not granting you the right to immediate termination. You know, we're going to get a grace period to fix it. But, I think that's what makes commercial leasing also so interesting is that it's so open to parties to negotiate what kind of rules they they want and you know you'll see the power dynamic play out on kind of who wants to lease more who wants to blink first.
1: Well that's one challenge that we we hear consistently on the on the residential side of it and we're not, we're not we don't want to paint a bad picture of tenants but the the reality is maybe there is some more challenging tenants out there than others. And on the residential side it seems like it's very, very in favor of the tenant that they could maybe cause problems or not pay or whatever. And there's sort of a, a bureaucratic process you have to go through that sometimes might take very weeks or, or months to get them out. In commercial, it sounds like like we can sort of just, hey, this is our lease. This is how it reads. You don't do this. I have the ability to do this. And and how quickly can I do that? Can I you know, get a tenant out within three days, five days or a week? Or am I stuck having to go through that long drawn out sort of process that I have to go through on the residential side, which could be sometimes months before I, uh, before I get uh, an answer.
0: Right. So now depending on the type of breach that a tenant does in the commercial context, like um, there are instances where um, if the lease provides it, you can terminate re-enter, and not have to go to court. Just, you know, you post your notice of termination, you um, hire a bailiff, they go in, change the locks. And um, you know, that's that in the residential Context, it's you know, it's a whole different ballgame. You have to get an order for possession in your hand. You have to file with the the residential tenancy branch. You have to have a you know a hearing. You have to exchange evidence. It's it's quite a process. And to your point, um, the the law kind of has changed like over the last like four or five decades. Like it's you can kind of see it like as a pendulum that swings back and forth between. Residential tenants having more rights and landlords having more rights. And I would say that in today's current um, environment, the the tenant certainly has more rights um, in in the residential context. And no, there is no body that governs commercial commercial leasing like that. Like sometimes commercial leases will have an arbitration clause where the parties agree to, to resolve any disputes through arbitration. But then, no, there is no like commercial tenancy branch where you have to file and, and serve notice that way. Just thinking about the
2: benefits of being a commercial landlord as opposed to a residential landlord, it seems pretty clear that the situation as a landlord in the commercial space is, is a lot. Uh, you're in a, you're in a much better position. The only thing that I'm thinking of here is you know we're we're throwing around words like 40 page leases, 60 page leases counsel. Is there an instance in commercial real estate where you don't need a lawyer to to draft up a lease? Um, or, Or is this something that kind of a mom and pop investor can
0: figure out themselves? Uh, well, now, I'm far from a neutral party on that. Because a, lot of my, a lot of my business uh, depends on getting clients in for, for assistance with this, but um, I, I never suggest trying to uh, tackle commercial leasing on your own, whether you're a landlord or a tenant. These documents are very complex. Like, the difference between a couple words here or there can mean uh, you know, a large amount of money that, that you're paying. And, and so, Even other lawyers who don't dabble in commercial leasing, like I can tell if there's a lawyer on the other side that doesn't have much experience with commercial leasing, because like, like, let's say I act for a landlord, I I draft up a lease, I send it off, the tenant gets a lawyer to review it. I can tell from the kind of comments that I get back, you know, if they have much experience in commercial leasing, because these documents are so complex And and they're very interlinked um, in the sense that one section will depend heavily on other sections in a way that other contracts may not provide to such an extent. So um, it it takes a very skilled eye to draft these documents. There's all kinds of rights that that as a landlord you'd want in there that I I just can't. uh, I would never expect somebody who doesn't have that kind of background to be able to produce something like that whether whether they're you know they have legal training or not like just the average person without legal training would would it's just it, it wouldn't be possible really to draft an effective commercial lease.
1: Well I think further to your point there Scott one thing that we see quite consistently on the brokerage side of it is a lot of people I think have an illusion that there's just because someone's a lawyer they're instantly a legal expert in all aspects of the law. And we do get calls from time to time from lawyers, maybe who don't have the commercial leasing experience, calling the brokerage asking for us to contribute or even asking us to review their lease. I that's think not that, a good sign. that <laughs> I was that's what I was getting at is, is that's not a good position probably to find yourself in, whether you're a landlord or a tenant, if a lawyer's calling a real estate commercial broker to ask for their insight. We're always happy to oblige and provide feedback, but it's just stuff that that there's a lot of value in making sure you hire the right lawyer for it we see that quite consistently
2: and, and and Scott you know I I don't want to I'm not looking for a quote here but for listeners that you know I think are are kind of interested in the commercial space and and maybe thinking about getting into it what what type of costs are we looking at you know and and ballpark and every every lease and situation is different of course but ballpark to have a lawyer involved in in helping you get your
0: tenant set up can you speak to that so in terms of providing a ballpark price it's pretty difficult because there's a lot of variance between firms and there's a lot of variance between properties i like to work generally on on a set fee so i think clients like having that having that knowledge that it's it's going to be a, a certain price right whether or not i have to negotiate hours and hours with the tenant or whether you know say the tenant has no comments and then maybe you know, and on an hourly basis, I would come out on top, but it's, you could spend expect to spend anywhere from say, you know, 850 on the low end to, you know, up to maybe 2000 or even beyond that for, you know, depending on the kind of firm that you're getting. And that's for drafting a commercial lease, you know, reviewing is is a bit different and will depend on the complexity and length. And again, whether they want to do hourly or for a set fee, but that's just, that's the, the best ballpark I can kind of give you.
2: And just thinking, and this can go to you, Scott or or Corey, I'm more familiar with the residential side where, of course, it's usually a year lease and then it goes month to month after. How how long are these leases? And, of course, there's different situations, but just generally speaking, are we talking,
1: you know, you're going to probably be dealing with this once every year, two years, five years, ten years? Well, a lot of that depends, too, on obviously, like when when a, a property is put up for lease or sent out to market for tender, the, the tenant has the opportunity to offer the term that they want at the price that they want. And a lot of times, too, the hotter the market is, depending on the asset class, the longer that lease term will probably end up have to be. If you go back to industrial, which is probably the hottest asset class right now, five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, you might see one to sort of three-year type leases. But because demand for that asset class has risen so high, to see a three-year or a five-year or a 10-year is much more common because a landlord's in a position now that they can sort of push a lot to get what they want. Purely based on supply and demand issues in that asset class. So to answer your question, is is chances are you're probably going to see nothing less than maybe a two year, but you could see as long as a ten or maybe even a fifteen year if you're dealing with like a large anchor type tenant plus renewal options.
2: Interesting. So you could potentially get put up some you know a couple grand in lawyer fees, but lock in a tenant for ten years. That seems incredible.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing too that 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 landlord's look for is they look for security. And if I can get a good tenant that I believe in their business, and I believe in their covenant and their strength as a tenant, I would love to have them in there for 5 years or 10 years versus having to go back to market to retender the property every 2 or 3 years and then, you know, start all over again with somebody new. You know, one thing that that strikes me here is it's just the relationship is is
2: so much is such a different relationship than on the residential side. Is there any benefit to being a tenant in the commercial space thinking as opposed to the residential space? Scott. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that <laughs> I mean, cause it honestly, at least just thinking about this, it seems like there's, you know, it, I could ask you about the benefits, uh, about, of uh, being a landlord in the commercial space and we can seemingly talk all day, but, but in terms of just flexibility, um, you know any any sort of benefit to the to the tenant
0: so i think just in terms of like the the power dynamic absolutely being a commercial landlord is far more advantageous even if you have a lease where you know the tenant is able to let's say you know they're a big you know a Fortune 500 company they have a lot of leases and they're able to based on the strength of you know the fact that they're a very solid company you're not going to have to worry about rent they're able to negotiate down a lot of the other kinds of strong provisions that a landlord could expect let's say if it's a mom and pop shop but even so whatever lease comes out of that is still going to be far more advantageous for that commercial landlord to ever have to exercise rights on versus going through the residential tenancy act and the residential tenancy branch.
1: Scott, from a tenant standpoint, a term you'll hear quite often through the leasing process is the landlord's standard form lease. And if I'm a landlord and I have multiple properties or if I'm a tenant coming in, is there one commercial lease out there that exists or is every commercial lease different? versus say the residential tenancy act that has one document you have to work off of.
0: Right. No, every every commercial lease is different. And to your point, that standard form RTB lease, yeah, that's that exists just as a function of how constrained the RTA is. Like because everything is so similar in that context like you can have that be applicable to almost all leases now that lease does have a carve out for i can't remember what section it is but for you to add some you know additional terms in there and i have acted for clients where i have put in you know additional terms like you know restrictions on what they can hang on their balcony or what time they can you know do their laundry but even so the remedies that flow from breaches of those extra provisions are not very strong, like you still have to go through the RTB branch. So in the commercial context, lawyers will draft leases from scratch. And that's kind of what can drive a cost up for a tenant is that we have to review these very long, complicated documents that, you know, no two commercial leases really look the same from other, from as between like lawyers, every, every firm kind of has a precedent, but it's, it's always interesting to me working through these documents to see how uh, how other uh, lawyers structure them, and, and you know sometimes I see a provision, and I say, I, you know what I really like that provision i'm I'm going to take that and and, and you know kind of move forward with that on Lisa's eye draft, and so yeah,
2: you know one thing about the last year year and a half with covid is we saw a lot of rent deferral on the residential side, right, and actually i I don't think we actually saw as much as we might have expected, but there was the ability to defer rent and a lot of talk of that early on. Was there anything similar in the commercial leasing world? And I guess thinking about that, how has COVID changed commercial leasing?
0: Yeah, so there was a government program that came out. I I think it was the CECRA. I can't quite recall the acronym where if landlords entered into Uh, rent reduction agreements with tenants. uh, And they had to be very specific. They had to use the form that the government wanted. If I recall correctly, it was over first three months and then they added a fourth month where the the landlord would agree to accept 25% of the monthly rent from tenants and that uh, the government would make up, I think the government would pay 50%, was it? Yeah, it was 50%. And then I think it was landlords would have to pay back only 25% of that. Corey, I think that's correct, right?
1: Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. So the program, how it worked is sort of like the government pitched in 50, the landlord would collect 25 from the tenant, and then the landlord would have to sort of eat 25% of it, everyone kind of doing their share. And it was up to the landlord had to give a break to the tenant of a minimum of 75%. We had some clients that actually would allow their tenants to have free rent, just to try to help get them through the short term there. But Justin Trudeau paid 50, landlord paid 50, tenant paid 50.
2: Uncle Justin, very good. Yeah, Uncle Justin. (laughs) One thing that strikes me is, say, what about this situation, Scott? You enter in as a tenant, you enter into, you know, you you start a cafe in 2018. You're going gangbusters. Let's just say you enter into a five or seven or 10-year lease. And I don't know if that's actually commonplace in in that space, but but let's assume it is. And COVID hits, and y- you basically want to walk away from from that agreement that has five, seven, eight years uh, on it. What what does that situation look like? What are the risks to the tenant in that situation, A- and I guess to the to the landlord?
0: So now, depending on the lease, but just generally speaking. The landlord has a couple of rights, so they could go in and um, now it depends. So if they're if they're just like they're just walking out, right, taking all their stuff and, and leaving, then there's nothing to what's called distress against, which is the seizure of the tenant's goods. So that remedy is open to the landlord, depending on like I say their lease and, and how they want to proceed under what's called the Rent Distress Act. They could go in and take some of the tenant's property, ideally through through a bailiff. Next thing they could do is they could, depending on the lease again, if it provides for it, they could re-enter and terminate the lease. If they do that, they have a duty to mitigate their losses. So they would have to go out and start trying to find a replacement tenant you know, to enter into in a new lease. But however, provided they're exercising those efforts, the tenant is liable for all the months as they fall due. Um, there's no such thing as them being you know, liable for the total amount of the of the rent due to the end of the term, because in that situation, the landlord would have an incentive to go in, terminate, rent it the next month, and then basically get years of rent up front, right. and, and, and they would experience what's called double recovery. Uh, the law doesn't like double recovery, so um, with each month that passes that they didn't find a tenant, they would be entitled to the rent for that month. And then the last thing they could do is they could affirm the lease. So rather than terminating and reentering, they could just basically sue periodically for the amount that's due. And in that instance, they don't have a duty to go mitigate or find a new tenant because the tenancy is still intact.
1: Now, one thing too that we, we experienced quite a bit during COVID is, is surprisingly, tenants were still quite eager to enter into new leases. Scott, if a tenant's entering into a lease during the middle of a world pandemic, is there any sort of protection, for lack of better words, on the landlord's side if this were to sort of come again and the tenant were to say, hey, no, I want out. I can't run my business. I mean, is there sort of a law that would kick in that says, hey, you entered into this lease during a pandemic. You knew what you were doing. There's not going to be a force majeure or something like that that's going to protect you in the future.
0: Right. So, uh, force majeure clauses got a ton of spotlight when the pandemic started. Um, and so, basically, the idea behind the force majeure clause is that if they're now, and again, these are drafted from scratch between leases, like they, uh, one force majeure clause in one lease could be very different than the other. But generally, the idea behind them is that if an event occurs that kind of is not within the reasonable contemplation of the parties and not within their control that prevents one of them from undertaking the obligations imposed on them by the lease. That those obligations would be suspended until the termination of whatever event is going on that prevented them fr- from undertaking those uh, obligations. And sometimes it helps tenants based on. The wording of the clause now there are other times uh force majeure clauses have like a little sentence at the end that says you know notwithstanding the foregoing nothing in this clause should be construed so as to excuse the tenant from the prompt payment of rent if i'm drafting a force majeure clause for the landlord i will put that sentence in there um now if depend like again depending on the wording if, if a tenant's entering into a lease during a pandemic I would expect that, that would that the, you know, a subsequent shutdown would not be something that would not have been within the contemplation of each of the parties at the, the commencement of, of that lease. So I don't think there would be much assistance if you signed a lease today that had a force majeure clause, but again, that's subject to the specific wording of the clause in question.
1: So, kind of pre-pandemic, a force majeure—would that be something to the effect of maybe my my unit flooded and I can't operate, maybe it burnt down and I can't operate—is that the idea behind force majeure in the first place?
0: Uh, so, burn, burning down is a bit different, but more more—they're more like you know, like war or like strikes or or uh, some people think of acts of God, like any embargoes or like an interruption of some kind of. Supply of raw material, or you know, it would depend, I guess, on on the wording of the clause. But it's not impossible that an earthquake could could fit in there.
2: You know, maybe as a couple of final questions that I have for you, Scott. One is, if if somebody out there is just beginning their career as a uh, commercial landlord, what are two or three kind of starting point tips you can provide for somebody just entering into this world and thinking about a lease?
0: Um, okay. So the first thing I would, I would be hire a lawyer to get, you, get your lease done. <laughs> and again, not, not an uninterested party here, but like, I just had an experience where, uh, where a client uh, came and I had a, a lease drafted um, by, by the client and it, it created a very big issue because uh, I I can't get into it too much, but anyway, it it created a very, very thorny issue that, you know, could have been avoided by paying one or $2,000 that now has the potential to cost, you know, maybe even tens of thousands of dollars. And so, you know, I like, I know landlords like to look at their um, bottom line margin and and try, try to, you know, save costs here and there, but certainly saving costs on the lease itself is not, not a good idea. So that would be my first suggestion. My second suggestion would be to do your diligence on the tenant, you know, review their financials, make make sure that if they're not an established business, you're going to want a personal guarantee from them. So if it's a corporate tenant, so if the tenant's coming in and they're organized through a corporation on any default or any lawsuit that has to happen, if there's no personal guarantor, you can only sue that corporation. And so if that corporation doesn't have any assets in it at the end, you're going to get what's called a dry judgment. It's going to you know, be a piece of paper that you're never going to collect on. So to sidestep that, prudent landlords in this, such an instance would ask the owner of that company to personally guarantee the obligations of the commercial tenant under the lease and that you know they agree to indemnify and, and pay any losses that the landlord experienced based on the tenant's breach, the corporate tenants breach. So that'd be the uh, second thing, do your due diligence, make sure you get a good deposit and, and you know, think about guarantors if there's any. And, you know, the, the last thing I would be is think about how you want to structure your lease. So uh, we haven't touched on this, but there's generally kind of two kinds of leases. There's what's called a gross lease where the landlord says, okay, I want $5,000 a month and that's it. Uh, that, you know, that'll go towards paying whatever um, utilities or taxes or, or whatever kind of expenses the landlord incurs as a result of their ownership. The $5,000 is, is the whole that they're getting. The other way to do it is that a landlord can break up the cost between what they want to walk away from the lease with. So let's say they want to walk away with 3000 So they say, OK, so the base rent I'm going to get is 3000 and any other expense that goes on top of that, that I incur as a result of my ownership or maintenance or repair of this property, I'm going to charge back to you. And, and you kind of need a careful eye, you need to keep a lot of receipts. So it's a bit more work, but that kind of allows for the contemplation of unforeseen costs that that come up that you have to spend you know, during the course of the lease. So that would be the, the last point is consider how you want to structure your payment, whether you're happy to just take a, take a check every month or, or, or you want to have it a bit more complicated where you, you have your walk away money and then you have your expenses that, you know, gets passed on to the tenant.
1: Scott, you mentioned there about personal guarantees and stuff like that. One thing we see a lot of is we hear the word guarantor and we hear the word indemnifier. Is there a difference between those two in regards to a lease, if I'm a tenant or say a landlord looking to protect myself.
0: Right. The language on that, you have to be careful on how you draft it because kind of one doesn't necessarily create the rights just because it's titled that way. So, but, but generally speaking, a guarantee is kind of a secondary obligation where, where the, the, the guarantor's obligations arise by only when the tenant, sorry, the corporate tenant defaults. So let's say a company defaults, they owe money, the guarantor only arises after let's say you try to collect on it, the tenant doesn't have it, then you can go to the guarantor. Now, generally speaking, an indemnador is when their obligations are simultaneous. So generally you would not need to go after the tenant first and, and try to exhaust that avenue. You can just sue it, sue the, the guarantor. You sue them all together, basically. And so that way, you know, the, the obligations as between them are, are primary in nature versus secondary in nature. I think that's the biggest difference.
1: Now that I know that I got to call all my landlords and tell them I need to change the leases we signed earlier. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, like I say, the, the title isn't really what matters. It's, it's the rights that are created from that agreement.
1: And I think it's one thing to point out is we've talked a lot about like landlord standard form leases, the landlord's lease. There is times in leasing where Starbucks or Tim Hortons or McDonald's knocks on your door where you'll go – you, the landlord will enter into the tenant's standard form lease. And and why that is is A, the covenant of them is so strong. And could you imagine sitting at McDonald's head office and you got 3,000 or 35,000 locations around the world and 35,000 different leases? Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: So, you know, as a landlord, we use sometimes you hear bigger isn't always better. But when you're entering into leases, if you own a straddle lot on Robson Street and Mm -hmm. Starbucks is your tenant, I mean, you're entering into probably Starbucks' lease with Starbucks' terms. And a lot of people were trying to figure out how is Starbucks closing all these locations? It's not uncommon that you as a landlord will find yourself in a situation with a AAA tenant. The tenant has a termination clause and the tenant can serve you notice, whether that be three months, six months, one year, whatever you, was negotiated between the parties to say that this isn't working out for us. We're, we're going to pack up and go. And from a landlord position, you I mean, it's a scary thing to think that if you have a location that Starbucks failed in, if they can't make it, Who else is coming? Yeah, I was
2: going to say that uh, that's maybe a little stigmatizing.
1: Yeah, so there's, there's, I mean, you do hear that from time to time where you hear landlords or, sorry, tenants standard form lease and those, you're typically dealing with the AAA type tenants. And if you run into a problem and you are a mom and pop or even, I mean, a local investor, if Starbucks calls me and says, Corey, I'm not paying my rent this month, you know, Corey's not going to do anything. Yeah, Starbucks' Starbucks's legal team would probably flick me off the end of their table like a fly. So <laughs> sometimes in leasing too, you want to be considerate of that sometimes bigger isn't always better when you are a landlord versus having sort of a, a, a national or international type tenant.
2: I, one thing that that just listening to both of you talk about the ins and outs of commercial leasing, uh, it's worth pointing out building a team, right? I'm, I'm thinking the lawyer to draft and, and go over the, the documents. But you definitely want a property manager in the commercial world as well. It's not, you know, I'm thinking of the street I live on and, you know, of the 24 houses or whatever, probably 18 of them have people living in their basements. And, you know, it's a handshake and a smile type agreements. It, it's definitely, I think this is probably not as complicated as some people may think it is, but, but you definitely want, to have a team in place?
1: Well, having a good team is everything. And that's where I think when people, people that do commercial right, they have a lawyer from day one that's going to prepare a lease and review a lease to protect their interest. They're going to have an insurance guy that's going to make sure they have proper coverage, both from a landlord perspective, but also make sure that the tenant's properly covering the landlord, which that's a whole episode on itself. You want to make sure you have a good mortgage broker. You want to make sure you have good accounting advice to make sure you're making the right decisions because we're not dealing with You know, $10,000 properties, we're dealing with $10 million properties that have lots of tax implications if they're not done right. You want to make sure you have a good commercial broker on your team, whether it's acquiring the asset, disposing of the asset, or leasing the asset, and then finally having a commercial property manager, especially if you're an absentee owner or you're buying commercial from an investment point but don't understand how that works. Property management is going to come in. They're going to run it properly. They're going to do a lot of that legwork to make sure it really a secures. A lot of the Yeah, and protects your asset. And if you if you are looking for good property management, I mean, William Wright Commercial has got a great <laughs> property management team. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, Scott, maybe as a final question here, uh, and I know confidentiality is big in, in your world, but can you tell us a horror story? The more gruesome, the better
0: <laughs>
2: in, in, in the leasing world of commercial real estate.
0: Right. So, you know, as to very gruesome stories, like if a file comes back across my desk where, you know, you're going to sue, uh, I'm going to refer it out to somebody because my job is mostly to draft the leases. But, uh, you know, just, just recently the other day, it was a couple months ago, I acted for a bunch of, at first they were purchasers. They purchased a bunch of different properties in in, in, a newly built construction. And then I subsequently did the leasing for a number of them. And almost immediately on one of those leases, we had a tenant default uh, for non-payment of rent. And so uh, I I got a call uh, from the client, they they, they were concerned. And I knew exactly what the the provisions of that lease allowed us to do, because I drafted them. So um, I sent a letter, notice of default saying, Basically, if we don't get the money, uh, I think it was within seven business days of uh, receipt of the notice that we would be seeking to terminate the lease. But not only that, that we would be requesting the legal fee for, for me having to draft the lease. Uh, not only uh, it would be in addition to that. So uh, basically, the letter said, if we don't get both of those sums, you know, this this amount of money for the rent and this amount of money for my fee and time having to draft this letter that we would terminate the lease and you know long story short before the end of the the, the period we received both uh payments so um y- you know take it we could go look at another example where you know Corey. i think you remember this file where we had uh, it was a it was a don't very drag small,
1: me into this <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was a very small two-page lease that did not have any rights there um, and, and really, basically, it, it was more of a product of negotiation than it was having any any of the, you know, the reentry or the notice of default uh, provisions that we would have liked to see. Now, I think thankfully that it ended up working out, but it could have not uh, just as easily as it did.
1: One thing that we would strongly recommend to all clients is, and, and Scott kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, is sometimes Tenants and landlords—they try to save that eight hundred, or that fifteen, or that two thousand dollars. That could be the best money you'll ever spend. In the event problems arise, because you know people sign the lease, they they put it in the bottom drawer, they forget all about it. Tenant doesn't pay, damages occurs. Everyone scrambles to find the lease to see what it says, and a lot of times landlords and tenants maybe don't take it as seriously as they should. But in our business, we see everything good and bad, and we can't stress enough than to make sure that you get a lease properly reviewed or, or a, a, le- a proper lease as a landlord or properly reviewed as a tenant going into a transaction, because we, you never know what the outcome is going to be. This is a partnership you're entering into for two years, three years, or five years. And I think what we're, we're still in right now, and we're, we're going through the pandemic, that, that nobody saw this coming. So there's life's unpredictable. Spend the extra money. Make sure you protect yourself from day one because it'll probably be the best money you ever spent.
2: Wise words indeed. Now, Corey, this is my first time. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, this is my second time on the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, but I understand you have a segment to end the show.
1: We do. Well, you guys have the five wire, and because we're just that much better than what you guys are, we actually have the six-packs. So we have six questions. Scott, you have time to stick around for our MLG six-pack? I do.
2: All it, right, it would we, be even more awkward if you said no. Yeah. Could you imagine if he was just too
1: busy? So Scott, six questions we're going to ask you gives our listeners a little bit better understanding of who you are outside of the office. Take as much time as you want. So we'll, we'll give you an easy one to start with. Sure. Favorite movie or TV show?
0: Hmm. I think my favorite movie would be Interstellar.
1: Interesting.
2: Interesting. I think that tells that actually yeah. speaks volumes about who you are, Scott. I,
1: I wrote down Care Bears.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a close second.
2: <laughs> One book you'd recommend?
0: Book I recommend. This is probably super cliche, but Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now.
1: I don't know if that is cliche. I don't. I. I would.
2: I. Fi- I, I didn't. I just read something recently that he's apparently from Kits, which I didn't know.
0: <laughs> Yeah, so he he was homeless for a while there. Um, wow. He's an interesting guy, if you, if you ever read about him.
1: All right. Robert Munch, cross that out.
2: <laughs> These predictions didn't really yeah, go well.
1: <laughs> I'm 0 for 2 so far. <laughs> Scott, a quote that inspires you or a quote that you live by?
0: Mm.
1: And to give you an example, my quote is whatever Matt says to me before we go on air. <laughs> That's what I live by. <laughs> Um, where am i (laughs) (laughs) how did i get myself stuck in this it could be business related it could be maybe uh, maybe a sports hero had said it maybe an actor
2: you know i just uh had heard a great quote yesterday a leader without followers is just a guy out taking a walk
1: that's a great (laughs) quote yeah, a, not <laughs> well, how, how
0: am I going to follow that?
1: now? <laughs> well, hopefully you do because if you don't, that means Matt's just out for a walk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we can come back to that. We'll give you. We'll give you a no, little bit.
0: I know. I got one. You got so, one. Okay, go ahead. So it's it's Joe Rogan, and he says something to the effect of. Live your life in a way that it's as if people are watching a movie of you in the future, and that you would want to live the life that would make that movie something to that effect.
2: I like it. Well, I could. I, could I you thought you were going to say uh, a dance like no one's watching, but,
1: but but that's that's way better. I'd be I'd be fearful if people watched my life's movie. That would be that would be a blockbuster bomb. At the- <laughs> <laughs> all right, Scott. Favorite vacation spot?
0: Uh, Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Oh, good, nice. good one. Good one. Nice.
1: Good one. Yeah. Favorite music group or song? I got this one. I, I, I'm, I think my prediction's right on this one. So, Scott, you got no pressure here. Probably not.
0: Uh, I like Mob Deep. Oh, wow, man,
2: uh, Celine Scott, Dion, Scott, Scratch, you contain multitudes. This is, this is a, these are the first time I've ever seen these questions. And I think these are really great. They, they kind of capture uh, the complexity.
1: Well, well, now that I know <laughs> Scott was probably one of those guys in high school driving around with all four windows down and the rap music blaring. And now he's sitting there handle my, handles my whole life from a yeah. legal standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Scott. Last question. Uh, what is one piece of advice you would maybe give our listeners if they were looking to enter into the commercial real estate world, whether it be a tenant or a landlord, or from an investment standpoint, is there any any advice you could throw out there?
0: I would say just do your diligence, right? So, you know, give this podcast a listen, and you know, kind of take some notes, and you'll get a sense of you know where the danger points are, where, where the you know where you need to pay attention to. So, uh, I like what you said about having different professionals in line. So, you're going to want to talk to your mortgage broker to see what financing looks like for you if you need financing you're going to need insurance in place you're going to need a good broker to find a a property that that you're either going to rent or purchase and you're going to need a lawyer to to walk you through the paperwork whether it's purchasing or or drafting uh, in the leasing context well yeah just do your diligence i would say
1: i'm glad you said I'm glad you recommended people to listen to this podcast because I was 0 for 5 up until that <laughs> on predictions. And then I had written down that Scott's going to tell everyone to listen to this podcast, which will be his piece of advice. So one for six so far over here on the MLG six-pack.
2: Right. <laughs> that, that, was, that was great though, Scott. Thanks thanks so much for your time. And, and how can people find out more about what you're doing over at McKinnis Law Group?
0: Uh, So yeah, I I have a different, uh, bunch of different practice areas on my uh, website. Uh, I I do make commercial real estate kind of a a focus, whether it's purchasing, selling, or leasing. You know, I also act for businesses, whether they're looking to incorporate or need a shareholder's agreement. I do that kind of business law type work as well. But yeah.
1: Scott, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to join us today. And thank you once again for everything. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Great. Thanks a lot, Scott. And there you have it, folks. Our interview with Scott McInnes, uh, McInnes Law Group. That was a fantastic conversation.
2: Uh, so, much, so many takeaways. Uh, not least,
1: Scott's favorite band is Mobb Deep. I know, I know. I, he kind of caught me off guard when he said that. I, I I, had Celine Dion written down, and then when he caught Mob Deep, I to strike it out. I didn't know what to say. But he texted
2: you after. He still has subwoofers. Still has subwoofers. In the back of his Honda Civic. In his car. <laughs> Is this not a Honda Civic? I feel like that's a Winnipeg thing. That, <laughs> that's a 90s, 90s nineties.
3: thing. Scott said he thing. was going
1: to go driving down uh, South, or Marine Drive in White Rock with all four <laughs> windows down after the show.
3: <laughs> I actually, uh, I, I'm only familiar with Machiavelli's verbal assault on Mob Sleep. <laughs> Um, I, I don't, uh, I don't actually remember. Uh, I, I listened to, I guess, a little Mob Deep, but I feel like that's what, early 90s? Is I
1: don't Mob think my still I, making
2: elf? That's the thing. I feel like, uh, I'm not sure how old Scott is, but that's like 94, 95. Yeah. Kinda, my, my parents I didn't, didn't
1: let me listen to Mob Deep. <laughs> really?
2: <laughs> that's, that explains Nickelback. Uh, but here's,
3: here's the thing. Cause we, we, uh, I, I actually just had this conversation with, uh, another realtor, but Whatever music you kind of cut your teeth on as uh, an adolescent, a lot of people get stuck in that period, right? Like all my rap knowledge is from 1990 to about 1997. So and you're, you're,
1: yeah. you're, so that's Coolio. So, so mostly, Coolio. mostly, <laughs> mostly, <laughs> <laughs> most, mostly uh, Gangster's Paradise. Uh, <laughs> I, I would usually roll from Gangster's Paradise right into like Hit Me Baby by Britney Spears. <laughs> on account
3: of your parents not, not letting you listen the to parental, the gangster rap the, yeah
1: the parental advisory on the cd covers <laughs> we no no, Mom. Go, where no goes at future shop
2: <laughs> oh well that was a fantastic <laughs> interview <laughs> but but what else do we have for the day before we cut i uh, uh, there's a few things we got i think uh before we cut one is the commercial vancouver commercial real estate podcast lives with transcription over at com. So if you would like to find out more about the show, what's going on, head over to vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And Corey,
1: how can people find out more about what you're doing over at William Wright? People can reach us at, uh, they can visit our website at williamwright.ca or they can always reach out by email at Corey at <laughs> Lots of exciting stuff there. They can go sign up for all of our newsletters and all that. And on top of that, I'm very pleased to say that we have a new industrial project that we'll be launching out in uh, Langford there, and we're going to be able to give away VIP access to some people. So if they want to wow. reach us out, reach us at uh, at Corey at Williamwright.ca. We'll put you in touch with the brokers over there, and uh, we can get you in before they go on sale in the next few weeks.
2: These are your brokers, and kind of price points, Corey?
1: Uh, they're probably starting around nine hundred thousand to a million dollars, but it's uh, over in over in the Greater Victoria area. They got about a sub one percent vacancy rate right now. Uh, which some reports claim it's the lowest in North America. And the last couple of projects that have launched in the area have had huge, huge success. So we're very pleased to bring the the West Shore Business Park to the marketplace. And if you reach out to us, we can get you in before everyone else.
2: So head over to williamwright.ca or vancouverrealestatepodcast.com.
1: You got it. And Corey, who do we got next week coming on the show? So next week, we got Shane Richter from Next Environmental. The guy literally has probably the dirtiest job in our business. A lot of people, when they buy commercial real estate, freestanding free buildings for the first time, you got to get these environmental tests done as part of your lending requirements. And a lot of people, you know, the costs can be kind of scary. A lot of people don't yeah. know about these and And you get costs. into it, yeah. The, the cost can be kind of scary from time to time. Sometimes the results you may get back may not be what you're looking for. and And sometimes not all deals go in the direction you want because of it. But he's going to break down what environmental testing is required, how it's done, the potential costs that go through it, and um,
2: and last, yeah, Shane has some horror stories that you don't want to we'll, miss. We'll Jeez. we'll ask
1: we'll ask one one little horror story but we'll never give away the address. Oh. But it's a really interesting episode, a lot of it's 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 a part of the business that a lot of people don't know a lot about. It's very very detailed and it's, it, he'll really unpack all that stuff for us.
3: I can't wait. And I love this question, what is your favorite band? Because honestly, I can I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm <laughs> I'm fingers crossed that uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony makes it. No, this here. and, and <laughs> <so> it's actually <laughs>
2: All right. Have a good
1: week, guys. All right, guys. Take care. Subscribe today.